Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Cloud Wars Live. We're exploring the digital revolution and also some of the forces that help shape this digital revolution and any sort of revolution in important ways, and that's leadership. One of our new monthly guests on Cloud Wars Live is Christian Anschutz, who's been a CDO, a CIO, definitely an entrepreneur, captain in the Marine Corps, and definitely a builder, creator, adventurer. Uh, I described him last time as cuddly. Um, you know, we've had some fun laughing about that a little. I'll leave that up to Christian and the rest of you to think about. But Christian, welcome back to Cloud Wars Live. It's fantastic to have you. Okay. Okay. All right. All right. There's that cuddly thing again. Okay. So Bob, here is testimony uh, and, and something, uh, testimony to the, uh, the reach of your show and also testimony uh, that your uh, sponsors will love. I must've gotten 50 messages from people that just out of nowhere, spontaneously address their emails to me as cuddly, Mr. Cuddly, oh so cuddly, and uh, any number of different things. So thank you for that. I, I do appreciate that new moniker. Uh, I've been called worse, just to be clear. So cuddly is actually kind of an upgrade. Uh, yet, as we talked about last time, a little unexpected, but uh, thank you. Well, um, you know, maybe cuddly is a, it's a far end of it, but approachable, warm, uh, intensely genuine. And Christian, I think the, uh, the theme that, you know, has been running through the episodes here that you'll be involved with, of, you know, Anschutz on leadership, Right, a lot of people get different senses of what leadership means today. And you know, if, for some of the young folks who are watching or listening, you know, that they're, they're thinking, I, I, I aspire to get being beyond a contributor to being a manager. And I think you've always got great insights about what separates managers from leaders and the, the importance of that. And down the road, I know we'll get to talk about some things involving culture, but I really loved a couple of the ideas that you were uh, enthusiastic for today's discussion. And one of which is uh, a pet peeve that you wanted to address, and then that'll lead into a second topic. But talk about this uh, this pet peeve you've got and why it matters so much. So I, I will uh, gladly do that, Bob. Thank you. Um, so for anybody that's not following this podcast, let me just do the same disclaimer that I did uh, at the last one. So if this is your first time in, you know, it should be Anschutz is a student of leadership as opposed to somebody uh, who sits on high and thinks they are the ultimate leader. I don't think any of us should claim that. And if we do, we might have more sort of personal introspection that we should uh, pursue uh, over the, the days, months and years ahead. Uh, and then that said, uh, the question for me was, you know, what is that uh, leadership pet peeve? This is something, Bob, you and I talked about, you know, this idea of pet peeves. And, and last time it was the, the misuse of the word I. And this one, well, it starts with the word I, but it's, it's different. And, and, and the pet peeve here, and bear with me, it takes just a second to get to, is leaders that don't understand the concept of leading with intent. Now, leading with intent. Now, this is something uh, I don't wear my Marine Corps badge on me everywhere. I'm much more complex. We're all way more complex than any one thing. Yes, I'm a United States Marine. I will always be. And one of the things I learned in the Marine Corps is the concept of leadership through intent. And it is an incredibly powerful uh, tool that has served me very, very well and continues to serve me very, very well outside of the military context. And this is the idea uh, where you express an intent. Our intent is to achieve this out, uh, to, to, to go in this direction, to achieve this outcome. And when you speak at a level like that, when you speak in the language of intent, what you do is you enable, you empower two words that we use a lot in business, but actually 
candidly, we seldom back up. You enable the people that work for you to find the way to achieve your intent without any prescription from you. Okay. And so the reason why I hit on this is because usually what you get is my pet peeve is I hate micromanagers. Uh, you know, I hate that there's a lack of trust. I hate this, that the other thing. Those are my leadership pet peeves. And really what that is, that all bubbles up to the fact that the leader doesn't understand how to lead with intent, doesn't even know how to formulate it. And what you get then at the very, very best is a manager. They're not a leader. They're a manager. And that's another subject for another day. But leaders that do not understand to lead with intent is pet peeve number two. And where does that come from, Christian, right? Is it, do you learn this? Do some people are born with it? And how then, however they come about that capability, how is it best conveyed to others so that other people buy into it? Yeah, I think, you know, Bob, we all know how to do it. It's just you know, it's like the rest of life. It's, there's a no do gap, right? We, what we know and what we do are often entirely uh, two different things, right? And so, I, I mean, it, it, you know, leading with intent, let's just say you're in charge of 10 people. That number could be a hundred. It could be a thousand. It could be a hundred thousand, right? If, if you have to tell the people that work for you what to do in order to do their job, then either you are the wrong person or you have hired the wrong team. And you simply have to figure that out. What's most important is that they understand where it is that you, or more importantly, the organization, your, your shareholders, your stakeholders, whoever it is, whoever owns that mission, that they understand where they need to go. And then this is really important. And I'm channeling a bit, little bit of Simon Sinek here. Um, they understand the why. Give them that purpose. Give them that why. And the two things, the intent with a why that, you know, fuse together to create something really, hopefully, if done well, compelling, will cause your people to go, uh, you know, to new heights and, 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 uh, and execute. And they don't have to do it with your continuous oversight of prodding and directing and whatnot, simply because you trust them to execute against what your, what your intent is. That's not to say we don't follow up. It's not to say that we don't continue to, uh, you know, be involved in the process in some way. But what we do uh, avoid is we avoid those monikers that we hear again in, in, in different ways, which is, you know, I, I, my boss micromanages me, my, uh, uh, you know, I, I'm not trusted to do my job. Oh, I was doing this thing and then I was told a better way. Uh, and the person that was telling me really doesn't have my expertise, uh, et cetera. Well, Kristen, you do some work with, uh, you know, some universities and is this something that's ever touched on there? And if if it is, is it done well? If it isn't, should it be? Wow, you ask a great question. Uh, I have yet to hear the subject. I, I haven't done any leadership courses, as you know, between uh, what I do for uh, at the business school, the University of North Carolina in Chapel Hill. And then, of course, I'm, I'm actually enrolled, if you can believe this, uh, even at my advanced age and the <laughs> school of management at, at Yale University. Um, I haven't done any quote unquote leadership uh, studies, so maybe it is covered there. I haven't seen it, but there's, those are two good universities and there's thousands more of other great universities where they probably do cover, uh, cover this, but maybe they don't. It, it, you know, candidly, I don't actually see too many people, and I'm going to turn the question around to you. I don't see too many people that don't have a military background that actually understand the concept of leadership of intent, although I, I have met some. What's your 
perspective on this? Have you, I mean, you see, I mean, you've worked some really powerful CEOs in the past. What, what did they do in this regard? What did you learn? Yeah, well, you know, Chris, one of the first times I heard somebody, I think addressed this, not in that precise language, but I, I thought it was very well done as, uh, I don't know, 20 years ago. I, I say everything that was 20 years ago, but it, it could be, you know, in, for me, 70 years ago, 90 years ago, but let's say 20 years ago. Um, we did some work with Jack Welch and he was describing the roles of leadership. And, you know, he said, it's a, he said, we can overcomplicate this. You can make it, you know, a series of three textbooks and all that. He said, the, the big things leaders have to do, it's pretty simple. The, the number one thing he said, how do you take the uncertainty out of the situation? And I think what you're describing is one of the ways, you know, the uncertainty that my boss doesn't charge, doesn't let me do this or that because there's this, this, fog in the middle, right? There's an uncertainty. And the person who's supposed to be the leader believes that because he or she has a certain title or has been given a certain rank and a certain office. And I think Tony Uphoff was talking about, <laughs> he remembers a day, one company he was in, a guy was staring at the ceiling in Tony's office. And Tony asked him, what are you doing? He said, well, he said, you have more ceiling tiles in your office than I have in mine, but we're the same we have the same title. So I'm going to talk to somebody about that. It's just, so Chris, and I, I, I believe it's probably as much something that people are born with. Um, I'm not saying it cannot be learned, but uh, if somebody doesn't have at least a strong sense of that innately, I don't, I doubt that anybody ever said to Jack Welch, this is, you know, write this down. This is what leaders should do. I think he learned that because he found that you can't be effective, you can't be efficient, you can't be productive, you can't be innovative if people are always sitting back in this fog of uncertainty because, right, if you get into that situation, you're certainly not going to try to do your best work. You're going to sort of hunker down and, you know, don't be the person who gets called out and let me just, you know, do what's expected of me, but nothing beyond that. You know, we should have started with you. Gosh darn it, because, you, you know, if you, if you were about to tune out, folks, don't tune out, because Bob just hit two important points. First, Jack Welsh is a classic example of someone who led with intent. Now, you do not have to agree with the intent. That's not the point of this. But he said we would be number one or number two in every single market or segment we participated in. And he said, go. He didn't tell them, okay, you're going to do this. You're going to acquire that. You're going to move into this segment. You're going to take over that geo. He did not do that. He said, you are going to be number one and number two. And what made him successful is that he followed that intent up with a relentless, let's call it a hard assness. I mean, yeah. he was a hard, hard charger, right, wrong, good, better, and different. I'm not uh, condoning nor condemning. That's not my role here. But those two things he did and his leadership with intent was superb. But hold on, that gets to Bob, your other point. The, the question of leadership is, can you, are you born with it innately and can you be, or can you be trained in it? It's like most things. I think maybe we're born with a disposition to be maybe better at some things than others. But I mean, if you could teach a, a, a monkey like me how to, you know, paint, you can teach someone to do anything. Right. And so, uh, you know, and I, and I say that because go back to Jack Welsh. GE under Jack Welsh made a dedicated and determined effort to invest in their people. And they put together a series of programs and let's call them universities, if you will. I, I forget what, if it was called GE University, maybe it was. Some of your listeners, please uh, uh, correct us on this. There, but there was, a, there was a name for these universities and they taught many things, but they taught 
leadership. And so this is actually one of my greatest criticisms of leaders in, uh, you know, whoever our leaders are today, uh, particularly in, in the corporate and public sector. Yeah. They never ever sought to learn leadership. They just assumed they had it. And so what you have is you have a bunch of people that don't, they're not leaders, but they carry a title. And then with that title, they expect a mantle of respect. But respect is given to great leaders and you can learn. You might be born with certain attributes that make you more likely to be a good leader, perhaps. But I know for a fact, you can be taught leadership and everybody who purports to be a leader should be a student of leadership. And their first job, job number one for any leader is constant improvement on themselves. And as we're looking at like my roadmap to develop this business, my roadmap to, to transform this activity or whatever, the most important roadmaps we sometimes need to have is what is our roadmap to become better leaders of the organizations and the institutions that we're a part of? Yeah, yeah. Um, Christian, you know, uh, when I had worked at Oracle, one of the things that came into the organization when I was there was that I found it was a cultural thing that the organization prior to my arrival, what they were, what they believed, what the intent that they had internalized was, you sit there and wait until you're told what to do and then you execute on it, you know, be a service organization. And I, my view was no, we, there's nothing wrong with that, but in this company, in these times, and with the, the capabilities we have and the responsibilities we have, we need to become an active force of innovation and value creation. And it was interesting because there were a lot of people who said, well, what about, they were concerned about repercussions. What if we do this and it's not approved? What if we do this and somebody says, hey, you're not allowed to do that? And I said, you know, this is part of the adventure, right? Um, there are not people in the software development organization at Oracle who sit around being scared to death of being innovative and neither should we be. And I, I think what I tried to impart to people there was a the notion of this is, a, this is a choice, right? This is a very personal choice and the intent that we have to become part of the greatness of the company, part of the A team of the company, you know, doing things above and beyond to dazzle and delight customers that's that's our job and if we choose to sit around and wait then we're going to miss out on that and i don't know maybe we get a second crack at life uh <laughs> i don't know anybody who can prove it one way or the other but i'm going to assume that we don't so let's not sit around and squander this opportunity to do phenomenal things and be part of that uh of the part of the group that does things that are dazzling that that achieve those things. So the intent that we tried to instill there was uh, something that was, you know, pretty powerful. But I think a lot of people were, uh, I don't say they were cowed, but they had been conditioned in some way. So when you talk, Christian, about this, this ongoing training for people who want to be leaders, your own self-definition there, this isn't Anschutz on leadership, this is Anschutz as a student of leadership, even though you've been in some incredibly powerful leadership roles. I think that's true because it involves people. It involves the pace of change. It involves what's going on in the world today and how fast things are happening and understanding the fluid nature of organizations and so forth. So yeah, I, you, you, have, you have changed my mind. I do think it is something that uh, the finer aspects of it can be learned and should be taught. 
both at companies and universities and you know whatever organizations feel they they want to have that higher purpose intent well you know i i can also add an exclamation point to it so uh, there's a there's a number of reasons why people say join the military and then as a subset of the military there's a, it takes a special kind of character a special woman or man that wants to join the marine corps but not everybody that joins the marine corps was born a leader Yet the Marine Corps is absolutely, absolutely steadfast committed to making sure that they have a pervasive leadership model. So hold on for a second, everybody. You, there's people listening right now that are going, hey, you know, Bob, this Christian doesn't know what he's talking about. The military, it's command and control. There's somebody up high and then they tell them what to do and then they just scurry off like good little troopers and uh, they do it. And that would be absolutely the, the kind of thing that someone that's never been in the Marine Corps might say, and it's completely, utterly wrong. We teach, the Marine Corps teaches the, every single individual how to be a leader. So much so, I could, I could, like I'm seeing you right now, I remember sitting, standing, excuse me, standing at, at attention almost in a line going through boot camp with a book in front of my face waiting for chow. And then we take a step forward when it was our turn. And then we take a step forward and the line was like a half a mile long. The entire time that book was in our face and we were leading, reading and memorizing the leader, uh, Marine Corps leadership principles and traits. And the point of it is you have to have a standard. Now you have to start somewhere. And they would teach everybody, everybody what it meant to be a leader and how a leader was measured, right? And this is, this is really important. Because for the people that think the military is command and control, guess what? As soon as you go from a private at, let's say, 18, let's just say you're 18 years old, because the Marine Corps requires you to have a high school diploma, and you become a PFC, which could happen in months, all of a sudden you can be in charge of people. By the time you're a Lance Corporal, which could be a year to 18 months, now you're in charge of people. Now, in two years, you're a corporal. You are definitely in charge of people, and your rank is now a non-commissioned officer. Okay, so th this is becomes important, folks, for our organizations, and it speaks to intent, because when people lead, when they actually lead, then they act, they move, right? So let me tell you how it works on a battlefield. Shots are fired. Any plan you think you had is gone. It's out the window. And every single person that's part of your unit had better be making good decisions based on where they are, what they're doing, and they are not waiting for you, lieutenant, captain, major, whatever, to do it. Because if they do, they're dead. And so these folks have to be good leaders. So the reason why I'm, I'm not trying to belabor the military point, but we can make every single, we need to make every single person in our respective organizations leaders. Now you can be a thought leader, you can be a personnel leader, you can be a strategic leader, there's all sorts of different kinds of leaders. But we shouldn't think it's just some small subset of an organization that's leaders, because if you are doing that, if that's how you think of your business, well, let's go back a couple episodes, uh, Bob. Well, you're that organization that's got two feet in that tar pit of fate, and you are going to go extinct. And, uh, I, and, and candidly, again, if that's how you operate, please do your shareholders, your stakeholders, and your employees a favor. Go retire to some nicer grounds and, and, uh, and maybe take a little bit of time to reflect on how you can become a better leader to help your people uh, do as well. Yeah, yeah, uh, Chris, I love that. That's, a, I, I think, a big, powerful exclamation point you know, for people to consider in this. So uh, along with this, you've mentioned a couple of times this notion of continuous improvement, right? Because 
you know, uh, leading, maintaining the lead, you know, those sorts of things, you know, not standing still. You've talked about that thing of action, decisiveness, and in some ways the confidence, you know, to go forward. But it seems, Christian, that everybody, I believe, would say that continuous improvement is a good thing. But for lots of people, lots of organization, it remains more a theory uh, rather than something that they're able to lock down and put into practice. So is intent an, uh, a necessary ingredient of this continuous improvement? And how does that play out? Well, if, again, if you express intent, and, and intent varies based on your level, it's perfectly good for Jack Walsh to say number one or number two in the market. If you're in charge of, let's say, a, a small department, your intent's going to be a lot more specific. Uh, but regardless, your intent needs to be something that is, okay, we're here in the gold, po gold post, whatever it is, you articulate it, and we're going to get to whatever the goal post is without, again, uh, uh, stating explicitly what each play is to move the ball down every single yard and so forth. Sorry for the sports analogy. I don't know where it came from. It just kind of popped up. Um, so the idea, though, is to get from point A to point B you have to have a certain amount of uh, activity and uh, let's be very clear, progress. Now, the best thing we can do is have progress in improving our progress, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, would you agree that we could keep doing the same thing, 10 plays to get down to uh, the goal line, but doing it at nine might be better, doing it at eight. By the way, this reminds me real quick and aside, I always heard of the seven minute workout. And then I heard someone joking about how they improved it and they got it down to a six minute workout. No joke. Somebody has been doing this continuous improvement so well. I was just down in Pittsburgh and I saw a gym that was the three minute workout. Now this is somebody that really understands Six Sigma, right? Because they've just completely changed the business so much that it's over twice as good as the original seven minute workout. And now I joke there, that is kind of the point. The problem with the way organizations often do this is they do it in the language of Six Sigma. I, I, you, you know Six Sigma, we all know Six Sigma. They've got green belts, yellow belts. They use weird archaic language, Muda, Kanbans. I know every Six Sigma person out here is rolling over. They're like, oh my God, you just called my language archaic. Actually folks, it is. That's why nobody actually really wants to do it. You're introducing an entirely new language in an already super complicated life of the people that are trying to already do a good job for your respective companies. They got enough internal burden with all your training and all this other junk that they have to do just to be able to service the customer. Go ahead. Let's lump on some uh, Six Sigma on top of it. By the way, I love Six Sigma. Bob, I know you're laughing. I can see it here. Obviously, I love Six Sigma but I don't like the way that it's rolled out. I'll give you another better way of doing it, right? How about a simple, simple statement? There is no action without an after action. Let me be a little clear. Whenever we do anything of note from a strategic thing, merger and acquisition, we acquire somebody, to a small project, what did this exploratory session with this customer, how did that go? There should be a group of people that get together and do an after action that simply said, okay, how did it go? What went well? What, what, less, what went less well or poorly? Uh, you know, what did we need to start doing that we failed to do? And what just bombed and we should stop altogether? A basic SWOT analysis. But this is important, Bob, because it's simple. It, the words are after action. In fact, it's kind of intuitive. We get it. And then the whole idea of no action without an after action implies that if you did that, now you have a habit. So if you had a habit 
of having a frank conversation about how every single thing went, every major thing it went. And it, by the way, when you get good at it, it, it happens in minutes. It's not a 60 minute meeting for crying out loud. We have enough of those in our days, right? You can do it very, very quick, but you have candid, candid, candid feedback. And then the next time you do it, it improves. You know, Chris, and that's a terrific point. And actually that leads right into uh, what we're going to talk about here with the word from our sponsor, BMC. BMC wants to know, is your business on its A game? That's when systems are intelligent by learning from markets where automation is paramount yet effortless and when technology and people work as one in an enterprise. The A game is your business at its absolute best. BMC calls this the autonomous digital enterprise. Find out more at bmc.com slash agame. I know we want to get the culture at some point. That's probably a future discussion, but you have to have a culture that embraces that kind of feedback. You have to have a culture of courage and not one of fear. And now again, very candidly, Bob, and in a somewhat provocative fashion, most organizations don't have a culture of courage. They have a culture of fear. So again, full circle back to leaders. What kind of culture do you have? What are you leading? And how do you assess whether you're courageous and can have uh, the, and embrace the notion that everybody in your organization is a leader and that they can give feedback even to you and say, hey, Bob, I don't really think the way this, uh, this webcast podcast went that well today. I think you need to improve that and that you actually accept it versus shut it down because you're in a position of authority. Yeah, yeah. We're, you're not talking about my hair, are you? No, you look fantastic. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm the one that uh, probably needs of, of a shave here. <laughs> well, uh, Chris, I'm going to be a, a teeny bit careful talking about this, but um, there is a, a very big software company uh, and the, the founder's been there for decades and the people refer to him by his last name and an honorific that is in front of his last name. And I just don't, I, I don't, I don't get it. I mean, some of these people have been there 15, 20 years and they, I just think it speaks this, this thing of culture. I don't know if the, this person ever said, hey, everybody has to call me this. I'll call you by your first name, you call me that. But to me, it says something about the culture there of, uh, I think they're having some trouble keeping up with what's going on in the world. And I think part of that is a reflection of the fear of like, there people are just afraid to say certain things. If you can't call the founder of the company by, you know, his first name, because there's this unegalitarian culture that runs through that you're sure as hell not going to point someone out and say, you know, our products aren't where they should be. We're behind on this. Somebody's kicking our ass over here. The customers that used to spend this much money with us every quarter are cutting that back by a little bit, a little bit. So yeah, the culture weaves into it so much. And then the, the, if, if you instill these after action initiatives in a company where, as you said, it's driven by fear rather than by courage, then they're not going to be very productive, are they? Right. They're going to be a lot of, you know, let, let's check the boxes. We had the after action report. We all said something. It wasn't helpful, but we did the after action report. And then the next one will be no improvement, not much improvement, little improvement, little improvement. And meanwhile, your competitors are whipping your ass for you. So it's a powerful it's, it's, cycle. It's a it's a question. I, I, I mean, the question I would have for you and this person that I have absolutely no idea who you're talking about, 
the, the thing is, is that title, the honorific, is that respect? Or is it, however, uh, a means of, well, let me just put it this way. It could be issued because of respect, and that's fantastic. In fact, we just simply need to have more respect for one another, and that right there would help us uh, uh, perform much, much better. But let's just say it's respect. It becomes a problem, however, if that person, instead of respect, it's a position of control. So, hey, look, I, you know, I work for a company that, uh, you know, anything I want to do, any new product I want to launch into the, the marketplace, well, well I got to go up 10 layers until I get to honorific so-and-so. Right. Because if that's what's happening, then guess what? You got three legs in that tar pit and you're in a very, very competitive market and you are going to sink to the bottom. And it doesn't matter how big you are, how many islands you wait, never mind. No matter how big you are, that you'll get you're just going to get beat by somebody. The, the power of the organization and that organization in particular. And for everybody listening, I actually don't know who it is. I'm making some assumptions and having some fun with this on my own is the, the organization's power isn't in that one person. It's for in everybody else that works there. And when that person who is using, you know, has the honorary uh, title, if, if it's just for the honorary title and they enable those people, they're going to they're gonna, they're gonna do better than the organization where it's a, a point of control. Yeah, yeah. And it's uh, these times, I think, Christian, these, these points you're bringing out about, you know, uh, leading with insight continuous improvement, the, the honesty and candor and respect that go into the act or action report so that you can talk about things that are meaningful instead of just sort of, you know, the mealy mouth check, you know, box checking that says we did this, but nothing comes of it. it it's always been essential, but what's happening today and the way the world's moving, the way the market's moving, the way the business world is moving, certainly the tech business is changing like this, all these things that you're describing here, the leadership with intent to enable so many good things to happen within the organization, a lot of that self-driven behavior, the after-action reports to understand things. How do we continuously improve? Make sure we're doing better. Make sure we're moving faster. Make sure, you know, in tighter connection with the people that really matter on the customer side and on the employee side. Um, it is It is an art that if it is lost in some companies today, you don't have Nobody has like nine, 12, 15, 18 months to try to fix this and recover. They're, you know, the death spirals are happening in a shorter and more compressed and steeper uh, way than ever before. So uh, I, Chris, and I, I think you've raised some great points here today. And I look forward to maybe next time following up a little bit more with some of the cultural angles that you described. Yeah, and I, uh, I look forward to that conversation and to all the listeners here, if, uh, if you want to hear more about uh, maybe in our next episode, we talk about how to create a culture of courage uh, and one that can be very introspective and strive to continuously improve and one that is enabled uh, with pervasive leadership. Leave some comments uh, for Bob uh, and uh, please omit any more references to me as cuddly. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm fine with that. Thank you. <laughs> um well, Chris, and that's great. Now, I, I, I'm glad you got a lot of that feedback too, right? You know, from some people. And um, you know, maybe tell me, you know, maybe we'll do this each episode. I'll try to think of what is the quality about Chris and that I can slip out here. We'll see how many people listen to follow up with. But, yeah. Well, I'm sure it'll go from cuddly to pejoratives very, very quickly. So, but but I, I got thick skin, so I can handle it. 
Okay. All right. Christian, thanks a million. And this was terrific as always. Uh, good to see you. And I, I will try to uh, incorporate your, your editing there, Anschutz, student of leadership. How about that? Ah, well, that would be great. But I, I leave it in your good hands because, Bob, I trust you. Couldn't ask for more than that, my friend. Thank you, Christian. Good to see you. Thank you. All right, and thanks, folks, to all of you. Thanks for being with us here at Cloud Wars Live. We'll have more leadership insights from Christian next month. In the meantime, I hope things are going great for you. Springtime is here. It's wonderful. Enjoy it. We'll see you soon.